all aboard the Imagination Balloon! Let's slip the dogs of war. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show. It's Nathan and GJ back at you with a episode all about legendary dogs of war units that don't exist and have never existed, but we're going to give them some life on this show. GJ has gone out and sleuthed some of the coolest named dogs of war units that never got models and never got lore only ever existed as names on a page, and we're going to flesh them out a little bit today. Before we do that, however, we need to get to some news and some hobby. GJ, it's great to have you back, as always. And great what to be have back, you, mate. What have you been up to? Uh, I've been up to a lot, actually. I've been... Uh, well, start off, I've been getting some games in. Um, I I met a guy from my hometown um, who bought some miniatures off of me and he had never played Warhammer but he had got some miniatures and he got into painting a little bit and then I asked him well if you ever want to try out a game uh, you're you're welcome uh, to uh, stop by so uh, we have so far played two games of 6th edition um, one of them was with the back of the rulebook starter set armies with the uh, orcs versus empire that you got in the starter box and uh, that one was like a dressed down version of the rules with only uh, movement, shooting and combat and, and a couple of rules for weapons but no psychology, no generals, no um, battle standards, no magic, um, no fast cavalry, stuff like that. We did have a cannon and a chariot, of course, so yeah, those rules. And then the next battle, I expanded on those armies a little bit, brought them up to a thousand points each, added a couple of more war machines for Empire, added a snotling pump wagon for the orcs, some night goblins with fanatics, and... That turned out to be a little bit of an overkill for, of, of rules, so uh, but we still had fun. And, um, well, next time we're probably going to do something similar with the Empire, keeping it more or less constant. And that's also going to be a great way for me to uh, paint up some extra Empire units, because I don't really have too many of them painted yet. Um, I did do a quick cannon crew in the Middenheim colors. I, I figured at some point I also have to start a Middenheim slash God of Auric army and I probably have enough Empire models to do that now so why not start on it and um, I did some of the uh, cannon crew work real quick with contrast paints. Other than that I've been mostly working on a unit of high elf spearmen. Um, I've got 40 of them lying about to start a set's worth and I'm doing that for the uh, Gathering of Mighty Painters challenge. Uh, for those of you who don't know, you can check that out on, let me think here, the Burping Dragon Um It's, it's uh, well, it's a closed challenge now, it's been on the way, but uh, it's uh, lovely to, uh, to participate in it. Um, we have this little Facebook group chat where we share all kinds of things mostly pictures of the miniatures we've been painting both for the challenge and for other stuff um so yeah for me it's it's been high elves i did a batch of uh, 13 
and a uh, era appropriate command group although i must say that the champion is a reapers purposed um sword master because i didn't have a correct champion at the time uh, so now i'm going to do uh, another batch of 13 and i'm painting the shields and then hopefully another batch of 13 before the months end and maybe another command group so i can make two units of, of 20 odd spearmen or one big block of 40. Um, I think that's mostly it. Oh yeah, and of course I've I've been, uh, speaking of challenges, we have the uh, March Madness Orca Challenge, and I just posted up uh, another zombie pirate, because I thought, why not use the Orca Challenge to flesh out my uh, zombie pirates army? just one zombie at a time or maybe some unit fillers at a time and um yeah that has been great fun as well I'm, I'm trying out some new things with that uh, some uh, sculpting some uh, fiddling around with uh, contrast paints and with new techniques and uh, uh yeah i really like the, the the one model challenge for that uh, it's a great way to learn new things so uh, thank you for organizing that, Nathan. I am so happy that people have been uh, participating and making some crazy cool stuff. Your zombie pirate regiment is getting just so flavorful and colorful. And I love all of these characters. Brian is uh, wonderful. He looks, he's so simple. I, I love what you've done with some of these ones because you, you could go you know absolutely crazy with them and, and you did have a sack of hands last month but i love that brian <laughs> is this zombie in a straight jacket the top of his head is missing uh where his brains got shot out and he's he's always on the hunt for more uh when he's not nibbling on his own fingers and toes and they're just all such wonderful characters. At some point, GJ, I need like a little novella about the s <laughs> them sailing together on one of Luther Harkin's ships. Just these these crazy characters. I would love to see what they get up to. Uh, also, I gotta start going first. I think for for news and hobby because your hobby is so vast and uh and oceanic that it, it makes my my pitiful <laughs> little <laughs> hobby attempts uh seem quite uh uninspiring in comparison um yeah but it's not really fair because we only talk like once or twice a month so um i've got a lot of stuff to uh, catch up and you give weekly updates <laughs> yeah uh, even with the weekly updates i still don't know if i <laughs> if i <laughs> Uh, accomplish quite as much in a in a week or in a month as you do um, well in all honesty probably not but i i did try to make you feel a little bit better there that's true you did and i appreciate <laughs> that the last thing I, I wanted to comment on on what you were saying is uh to your point where uh you invited a, a guy over he bought some miniatures and then like you became his friend and got and taught him how to play warhammer through a series of escalating battles is the most wholesome thing I've ever heard. It's like you're the most wholesome drug dealer and you, you're just coming over. You're just like, hey, hey, you need a hit. Do you need a hit of these sweet miniatures? Hey, do you want to hang out for a bit? And uh, and I'll teach you how to play this. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, well, we, we, it's we wonderful. Can, so, yeah, of course, br br bring your own friends. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've got more. I've got plenty. <laughs> yeah, but, plenty for everyone. It's going to cost you, though. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah, I, yeah, I really well, like that story. It's, it's, it's costing me too in uh, terms of time and devising army lists and uh, stuff like that. So, uh, mm. yeah, it's... Uh, time well so, spent. Uh, time well spent, definitely, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not going to take up too much time on my news and hobby. And part of that is because I actually recorded two episodes today. I'm recording this one with you now, and the next episode that you hear, likely, is going to be the one that I recorded earlier today. That's all about the Dark Elf Assassins. And I'm going to try not to repeat myself. I wasn't sure which episode was going to air first, so (laughs) there will be a little bit of repeated information, but that's okay. We're going to go and uh, do this at super speed here. The first thing that I would like to say is thank you so much to all of the listeners out there, all of our wonderful patrons, and you, of course, GJ, and Scott. I know we haven't seen Scott in a while. He's a really, really busy guy. He had a real rough 2021, and he's kind of recovering from that now. But uh, yeah, a big thank you to everyone. This episode here is our 75th, and... Uh, we recently broke over 23,000 downloads, so very cool stuff, and uh, this year actually has been our best two months, so January, February uh, to date, which is also very, very cool. Uh, great to see that people are responding, and uh, it gives me extra motivation to make the show and do all the fun and silly stuff that we do here. And that's probably going to be it for news. I was going to mention Brian, but you brought up Brian. And seriously, if you haven't gone on the Warhammer Orchard Facebook page and checked out these wonderful creations that people make for our Super Serious Paint Challenge, please do that. Brian is in great company over there uh, with all sorts of silly characters, both from GJ and from others. Finally, uh, in a hobby... I have painted up some uh, sweet Crimson Fist Space Marines. I made a combat squad, and I tried something new with these guys. I actually painted them up fully, and then I went back and I weathered them with uh, battle, made some battle damage and uh, scarred them up a bit, and I actually love it. I'm usually one of those painters that likes everything very clean and crisp and colorful. These guys are very dark and brooding, and I think it's really works for them. They're for a city fight campaign that I might be doing in the summer. And uh, yeah, they're a real departure for me, but I'm I'm absolutely loving the result. The other thing that I did was a Space Marine commander, and he is kind of fun. He's very basic for a Space Marine, because of course, this is third edition. I'm trying to use era-appropriate models, so not quite as ornate as some of the ones you see in later eras, but I made a handmade banner form that's kind of a pennant style one and uh, that came out really really well nice big bright red banner because even when i'm painting more subdued color schemes i always have to have something that is overtly ridiculously colorful and probably a real detriment on the battlefield but it is what it is and uh, yeah that's going to do it for me for hobby And so we can move on to our main event. GJ, you devised a really cool episode for us today. So why don't you fill us in on how did we get here and what are we going to be doing? Yeah, well, 
Um, I, we got here because when I was making army list last uh, Thursday for the uh, for the second battle we we had, uh, I noticed in the Orcs and Goblins book and in the rare units section, you have these in the sixth edition books. Um, we're talking sixth edition books here. You have at the in the sidebar in in the in the unit section where you can uh, where you got all the points and stats listed. Uh, you've got these little sort of vignettes that give you some extra information about units. Uh, for example, in the Orcs and Goblins book, it says uh, in the rare units entry, rare units are just that scarce and valuable troops that are available to you in limited numbers. They are not necessarily the best troops you have, but always have unique abilities which can be readily employed to fulfill your dreams of slaughter. And then it goes on, mercenary companies of dogs of war sometimes hire themselves to the orcs for a share of the plunder. Silmanet's shadow hosts have been fighting for orcs, as have Volant's venators. And then I thought, well, I know just about every dog of war unit that's out there, but I have never heard about Silmanet's Shadow Host. And that got me thinking, and I, I started googling it. And it turns out that in uh, several of the army books, there are these dogs of war units mentioned, famous dogs of war units, they are sometimes called, that don't have any rules, and that that I could not find any mention for other than in these. 6th edition books and in the end I found uh, 8 of them that, that are not in the Dogs of War army lists and they are in no particular order uh, Scarlock's Wood Elves uh, which is mentioned in the Wood Elves book now Scarlock was a special character in 4th edition and, and you had the Regiment of Renown for uh, I believe it was 3rd edition or, or maybe even 2nd edition Scarlock's Archers so, um, I, I did not really count them, but they did not get any rules in 6th edition. Uh, but also in Wood Elves you have the Lost Kindred. Uh, we have the aforementioned Silmanet Shadow Host in Orcs and Goblins. In Dark Elves are mentioned Gorganesh's Blood Drinkers. The Dwarves, and it doesn't matter which of the two 6th edition Dwarf books you have, they mention Ludwig's Wanderers Grenadiers. In the High Elf book are the Celestial Dragon Monks of the Far East. The Lizardmen talk about the Night Stalkers of Cathandol. And in the Ogre Kingdoms book, finally, you have the Giant Pygmies of Lemuria. Now we have only, to go, only these names to go on. And just reading those names, uh, it brought to my mind so many ideas of what could have been and I shared this list with you Nathan and, and you were immediately enthused by it and you felt the same way so what I thought to do for this episode was that we can just uh, go through that list and then say how do we envision these dogs of war units which which race and troop type would they be what would our models look like what would our background be and um yeah, that's that's sort of what we have planned for today. Mm -hmm. It was a great idea and something that I never really noticed going through those six dead books. And it just goes to show you that sometimes it's really easy to overlook some really interesting tidbits. 
Yeah, well, I, I probably read this when I first got the Orcs and Goblins army book, um, all the way back when I started Warhammer. Orcs and Goblins was my first army. Um, but back then, I did not know anything about Dogs of War, and I, and I never fielded Dogs of War in a 6th edition game, uh, because I just didn't know about it. It was always this, this mysterious thing that you could use. So I never noticed that there were these units that did not have any rules. It's only going back over them now that they uh, sort of stood out to me. Now, how would you like to go about this? Shall we start off with the Lost Kindred at number one and work our way down? Yeah, let's do it like that. And then just uh, maybe go back and forth and just say, what, what, how do you envision this unit to be? And maybe we come up with something similar, but probably we'll come up with something completely different. Yeah, my, my brain went some places for some of these. So we'll see. I'm, we'll see I'm how really we curious to know what, yeah. uh, which places your brain went. <laughs> uh, well, so uh, would you like to start us off, Nathan? Certainly. For this entry, Lost Kindred, my brain actually went to Old Hammer, specifically 3rd edition. And when I look at this, of course, Lost Kindred, they have to be Wood Elves, so that's a pretty obvious one. And when they mention these Lost Kindred, it's usually in reference in the Wood Elf lore to the Kindreds that moved into some of the forests of the Empire in search for more forest spirits and, and other kind of lost glades and those kind of things. So that's kind of what I envisioned as far as the lore goes. But I wanted to make them something a little bit special. And I figured lost kindreds, I mean, they're going to be even more rare than wood elves. So it's not going to be a big unit. And I didn't want to just go with, you know, basic wood elves, but armed a little bit differently or anything like that. So. I went back to the third edition Elven Kingdom lists. So this includes Wood Elves and High Elves, basically. And one of the units that just didn't translate into later editions were Elven Shapeshifters. And I thought that would be a super cool thing for the Lost Kindred. Something where they can change shape a little bit like the dryads can but i'm thinking they take on animalistic forms like the original shapeshifters uh, from third ed so my idea for them was a skirmishing unit of probably five to ten models uh and each of them would have you you would choose on a a turn-by-turn -turn basis for the whole unit but you would have different forms so you could have wolf forms or, or bear forms and it would alter the unit's stats. For example, wolves, maybe you take on the movement nine of the wolves for the bear form, you know, you, you, you get stronger. And this isn't something that is, I think, unique in that war dancers can kind of do the same thing with their very different dances. But for me, I wanted this unit to be more of altering the base stats rather than adding on abilities. And I thought that would make for a really neat dogs of war unit for the wood elves as well as maybe for the high elves and maybe even give them to the humans as well and uh let them hire them too what do you think well um do you know what they say about great minds oh no really i well apart from the uh them having gone to the empire forests i came up with exactly the same thing I also went back to the third edition book. I thought, which of the Wood Elves units 
did we literally lose between third edition and the later editions and it was the shapeshifters and yeah that's that's exactly what i came up with as well and i didn't go as far as to think about what changes uh, what rules they would actually have for this but yeah probably something similar uh, something akin maybe to the fourth edition dryads uh, where they also had like uh, one aspect that gave them an extra attack and one ex aspect that gave them an extra toughness and stuff like that so um yeah it's it's uh, i've got it written down here but it's, it's exactly the same thing what i thought about that's wild i can't believe we came <laughs> to the same place with that oh boy if this happens for the rest of them this will be a quick episode <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> well it probably won't yeah i i I mean, it would be ludicrous, but we'll we'll see how we do here. All right, we'll see. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Since we both came up with the same idea for the Lost Kindred, I'm gonna say right away that that was the right idea because yes, there's no way that the uh, two of us together could be wrong about something. So no, that no, is no, the no, new that's, lore. That's definitely what they have to be. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and then maybe as to um, models, it would be nice if you have. Uh, like a mixed unit with some of the elves, it, maybe looking a bit feral, but still elvish. Some of them more like a wolf shape, some of them more like a bear shape or a boar shape. Maybe, maybe put the whole unit on a cavalry bases or something. Oh, I wouldn't be yeah. opposed to that. You could do a lot with them, especially if you make them a unit of skirmishers, because you don't have yeah. to worry about ranking up, so you can have them with some, some weird well, and wonderful poses. They, they, they do have to rank up when you get them in combat, but other than that, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that fully. I think that's, that's a really cool and unique aspect, if they, if they all kind of look like they're in various stages of transformation. Yeah, that would be cool That's as well. Uh, not not just the final forms, but on their way to becoming, or maybe changing from one form to the other. Ooh, yeah, yeah. And then those would double for all those uh, Realm of Chaos <laughs> things that you roll on That's those random it. tables. I need proxies for all of these dumb Chaos champions I keep making. <laughs> Tiger-headed fire kobold or uh, whatever. Oh. <laughs> 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 All right, shall we uh, hit on our next shall one? Shall we then? move on? Yeah, to yeah. so much shadow host. Okay. Well, I took point on the last one. Would you like to go first here? Uh, well, of course. And I hope that we're not going to go along the same lines, but um, I, I did not know before we started this that you recorded a Dark Elf Assassin episode. Uh, but that's the way I went. And you know that in the... Uh, I believe it says the Clan Ashen list in the um, Storm of Chaos book. You have the Ashen Triad. Mm -hmm. I was thinking maybe Sylvanas Shadowhost is a triad of Dark Elf Assassins. Uh, they've been functioning a little bit too well back in Nagaron, and they have become so good that they've been become a target to Assassins uh, themselves because they are basically a danger to everyone there. Uh, Sylvanas Shadow Host, in the end, saw no, saw no other option but to flee the continent and traveling as a band of mercenaries for hire. They can either be deployed, I thought of some rules here, as a separate scouting and skirmishing unit, or you can hide them, like you can hide assassins, uh, in 
I have here three different units, but I'm going to say up to three different units, uh, just as regular assassins could. And I thought it would be fun if you have a rule like uh, maybe uh, a Prince Bova says from Tomb Kings, uh, that if at the start of the game you nominate one enemy character and um, if one of the Shadow Host members manages to cause the final wound on that character, then uh, you will get uh, some extra victory points. Nice. Nice. So, I like this uh, Maybe a little bit like uh, putting a contract and uh, yeah, sort of hiding in plain sight, being sneaky the way <laughs> elves are. They can be pretty sneaky. I really like the triad idea for the assassins. Because one of the things that I was talking about in this episode, which uh, you will all hear next week probably, is that the Dark Elf Assassins are so much more loners than the Skaven Assassins were. And all the way back to the Hero Hammer era where you could take regiments of Skaven Assassins, you know, you could only ever get one Dark Elf Assassin in each infantry unit. And the idea of having a bunch of them working together is super cool. Yeah, and I thought, well, um, it's not something I wrote, uh, I wrote down, but uh, one of the things I thought was maybe give one of them uh, the named character Silmanet, uh, give him like uh, the, some extra stats, like an extra weapon skill or something, or some, some magic poison blades, and have the other two just be regular assassins. Nice, yeah. I like that as a option because it fits in well with that 5th edition dogs of war where each unit was led by a minor hero kind of thing yeah and i i understand why that wasn't perhaps the greatest thing as far as points values go and making those units actually viable on the tabletop but i really liked it for the lore and that's what i'd i would want to do that with pretty much all of these units maybe not lost kindred but i think the rest of them almost all of them i'd want to have some kind of hero they all, well, except for the, uh, oh no, not all of them. Only three of them. They, they, they have a, a named hero in the in the title. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a pretty obvious way to go. But uh, I, I do agree that that's something that's really fitting, and that's also what makes the Dogs of War unique. That you have those hero level characters in units as part of units. Um, Acting like a unit champion, or maybe uh, in uh, in accordance with a unit champion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great, great unit idea. Mine was different from that, so we don't have to worry oh, about having all the goodness. same yeah. answers. When I heard Silmaneth's Shadow Host, I, I guess I was thinking maybe a little bit too literally here, but. I, I couldn't get off the idea of Shadow Warriors and High Elves, so I was just trying to think of, okay, what would drive Shadow Warriors to work with Orcs and Goblins? Because that's a, a big, important part, since they're mentioned in the Orc and Goblin book. So my idea was one of the High Elf trading ports that is along, um, kind of towards the Badlands, uh, kind of right on the the edge where where the badlands meets the uh the land of the dead and across from the border princes uh because there's there's if you look at the maps there's there's some high elf ruins and stuff around there so i thought okay well what if the high elves had a trading port there 
there was a contingent of shadow warriors from Nagarith that were in port. The city was sacked uh, by the Tomb Kings, maybe Setra or Kalida or one of them. And they end up being the only survivors because, of course, the Shadow Warriors can kind of melt into the shadows and, and they're very stealthy. They get away and start kind of a guerrilla war in the, the, the hills of the Badlands, kind of harassing and harrying the Tomb King forces as, as they move about. Uh, the orcs and goblins start to, to kind of take notice uh, because anywhere, anywhere there's a fight, there's a good fight for orcs and goblins. And these two very disparate forces kind of find common ground. The orcs and goblins want the loot, they want the plunder. The elves want to manipulate the orcs to, to strike back in, in vengeance for their slain kin. And you have Silmoneth's shadow hosts who are just these very embittered elves uh, with a vendetta against the tomb kings. I figure you start off with the shadow warrior profile. Add in hatred, tomb kings, uh, have Silmaneth be kind of a, a noble-esque hero who is uh, maybe got a, I was thinking probably a magic sword or some kind of, I, I wouldn't make it specifically an anti-undead item, but maybe something with that kind of theme to it. I want these guys to be regular shadow warriors, but a little bit more angry and uh, a little bit more hateful. And I thought that would be a, an interesting way to put two normally uh, antagonistic r races and factions together that way. That is such a cool idea. I, I must say that Shadow Warriors have crossed my mind as well. Uh, by the way, also something like uh, the Shadow Host, uh, I, my mind also jumped to the uh, uh, Lord of the Rings Army of the Dead that Aragorn summons that you could also... Uh, Call something like a shadow host. So it, it, lots of options here, Ooh. but I I could not figure out a way to have high elves working in accordance with orcs and goblins. So that's why I sort of jumped over to dark elves. But I really love the the way that you make these two sort of desperate allies and yeah, uh, embittered high elves that will do anything to get to where they want to be, even if it means allying with some factions that they don't really like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, thanks. Um, I, I thought they would lend themselves really well to kind of simple conversions as well, some shadow warriors, but I would love to, like, decorate them with, with stolen tomb kings, like you know, golden necklaces and things just as a, uh, because the, the tomb Kings value their treasure so highly, basically have them, them, um, mocking and, and, uh, and, and insulting the, the tomb Kings by, by stealing their, their treasures and, and displaying them on the battlefield. Although that doesn't really help their stealthy nature. So I'm not <laughs> sure if I would go with that, but I think it would look really cool as, as models. <laughs> yeah, you can you can just paint their cloaks in uh, in desert colors instead of uh, shadow colors, so that they blend in with yeah. the sandy environment. Yeah, yeah. So I I thought they were a fun one. I thought it was really cool too, uh, that they put that in the orcs and goblins book because it it just begs the question of how are these obvious elves? Because you don't get a name 
like Sylmaneth without no, being an elf. Definitely uh, an elf name. Yeah, yeah uh, working with orcs and goblins. So I, I was kind of thankful that they had done that one because it, it led to a very cool uh, train of thought. Yeah, awesome. All right. Would you like to do the honors on Gorgonash's Blood Drinkers? Gorgonash's Blood Drinkers, yeah. So this is the one where I kind of had a bunch of ideas and I wasn't really sure which way I wanted to go. Blood Drinkers, I mean, you can go the very obvious way, which is some kind of vampiric thing. I kind of wanted to split the difference on it. And I was thinking ghouls. And specifically because these are dark elves. Uh, and dark elves have a, a bad habit of taking slaves just, you know, all over the place. This is what I thought. So dark elves, of course, uh, you know, life in dark elf cities, uh, nasty, brutish and short, especially if you are a slave. And I figured that the dark elves probably didn't really care too much for the way they discarded their sacrificial victims or slaves that have grown too weak or that kind of thing. So I figured outside of each of the, the great cities of the Dark Elves, you're likely going to have basically these, these charnel pits where they would just toss the bodies. And because of that, I was thinking, well, what if the Dark Elves, you know, there's, there's a lot of times where someone looks dead and maybe they're not dead. Maybe they're just clinging to life or they have some kind of illness. The Dark Elves throw some bodies in there and these people aren't dead. The only thing that they have for nourishment is the flesh of the dead and they become ghouls and they and over the years and the generations they devolve into into full-on like undead ghouls at which point you have gorgonash who is uh i, I don't know if i want him to be like a a strigoi vampire who has journeyed to the new world or perhaps just like a particularly good leader uh, that is a ghoul <laughs> i'm not sure which way i want to go on that one but gorgonash basically a raises this this regiment of of the biggest toughest ghouls that uh inhabit these charnel pits and i guess he's smart enough that he knows that he can't really do anything to the dark elves inside the city but what he can do is kind of follow them along with their battles because he knows they're going to be bloody and there's going to be lots of uh lots of food for his followers and for the dark elves i mean that's kind of free chaff for, for their armies and that's kind of what i i settled on for gorgonash's blood drinkers i was thinking you'd have gorgonash as uh, a hero level character probably somewhere in between a champion and like a vampire thrall so not quite full-on Maybe give him the equivalent of one of the uh, bloodline powers, but, you know, just change the name so that it, he's because he, he wouldn't really be a vampire or anything like that. And uh, model wise, I thought it would be really neat to have some some of the ghouls be a little bit more leith and uh, and maybe have some pointed ears just to say that, oh, maybe some of these ghouls descended from dark elves and some from human slaves. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I got. You, sir, have a very twisted mind. <laughs> Which uh, you may consider a compliment, by the way. Uh, I, I really like this idea. I had absolutely not thought about going the uh, vampire counts route. And if 
I were making this regiment, I would definitely put in a, not a Strigoi vampire, but like a ghoul hero. There's no such thing as a ghoul hero in the Vampire Counts books. It's just, you got your basic ghouls, and then you got uh, the next step up as a uh, Strigoi thrall. So yeah, why not make something like, uh, yeah, in between there, that's... Uh, and maybe give give the ghouls a little bit of a buff, uh, since you say they are the the biggest and the meanest and strongest ghouls that he can find. Uh, make them a little bit stronger than your average run of the mill ghoul. Uh, give them like an extra weapon skill or something. Mm, um, yeah, I'm not sure if they need it because they already have two attacks, I believe, in sixth edition. But yeah, I, I wouldn't mind them hammer. being being a little bit of a a ghoul plus one kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, awesome idea. I, I love oh, that, you. and I, I definitely think you win this one. Um, not that we're keeping score, but I I thought I, I saw that name Gorkanice, and I thought, well, this is uh, something chaosy. And at first, I thought maybe something demonic, but a demonic dogs of war regiment it, it doesn't really seem to fit because demons they are unstable, and when they when they get back to the warp, then there's no telling when they will get back and then i'm not sure that if a uh i, I don't know too much about chaos as uh that quiz we did uh, the other day proved <laughs> but um if you have like a reg regular regiment of blood letters and they get tossed back into the realm of chaos and and then you get another regiment are these the same blood letters the same entities or do they sort of get all mixed up in the raw chaos and 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 then condense again into these demonic forms. I have no idea how that works. So even though Gorgonash sounds like something that should be in the Demons of Chaos book, I thought I'd make them um, chaos marauders, uh, specifically corn marauders because they are blood drinkers, uh, blood for the blood god. So, um, this is a unit of corn marauders that have been captured by Dark Elves and made slaves. But these were so ferocious uh, that the Dark Elves have actually used them, uh, like you said with the ghouls, as chaff. Uh, they, they pushed them to battle a couple of times and even earned the respect of their Dark Elf masters. They don't really make a difference, these uh, blood drinkers, if they kill for corn or if they kill for cane. So as long as they get their blood, and they, they do actually live up to their name, uh, they drink blood. And as is traditional, they drink blood from the skulls of their enemies. And they even do that in battle. So I thought something like uh, Frenzied Berserkers, uh, a bit like the... well. I, I do mention Lord of the Rings an awful lot uh, this episode, but I like the Urukai berserkers with uh, with their helmets filled with blood and that they they put on, and that it drips uh, down their their face and their neck, uh, something like that. Um, they are frenzied; they cause fear. Uh, I I haven't really thought about much more than that. Uh, I only got a couple of lines written here. This is one of those units that. I didn't really think through all too well, and so uh, maybe because it didn't really resonate with me all that much. I get you on that. There's one coming up that I really, really struggled with, and I still don't have a great <laughs> concept for. So 
sometimes that happens, but I, I like what you've got there. It's very classic. Uh, and I think you could get some really cool miniatures out of that with the uh, kind of skull cap thing where they're, they're just, there's his head and then there's the head on top of his head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is also a cool idea. Like your your cup doubles as a helmet. Yeah. <laughs> I give you a, a great opportunity to use a lot of that like blood technical paint that uh, oh, came yeah, out a few uh, years ago. Yeah. Great paint, by the way. I should use it. It is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I only use it for miniatures that are kind of more modern, though. I just don't feel like it fits the aesthetic for most of the, the miniatures that I end up painting, but that's, that's just my weirdness uh, coming out there. <laughs> no, well, I do agree. And uh, Well, for example, for the high elves that I'm painting now, I've been thinking about doing the gems the traditional way with uh, glazes, but there's just so many gems that I sort of automatically resorted to the uh, technical paints, the, the, the waystone green and the soulstone red and uh, oh, yeah. those paints. Uh, it's just really easy that way. Just give them a silver undercoat and then uh, drop that paint on top of it and you're done. But yeah, it's it's it looks decent, but it does take away from that old hammer feel. So I I really feel your hesitation on this one. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that you don't really think about until you, you kind of reach for the paint and you're just like, ah, no, like it just doesn't it just doesn't fit, right? But yeah, yeah, I mean it, it's it's fine. Like if I'm painting anything modern, but that happens so rarely nowadays. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of just stuck in stuck in my little uh, eras. All right, stuck in the nineties. Oh yeah, I mean, look, if we if we all could, we'd all go back to the nineties. Except, I guess those who weren't born in the nineties and don't realize how awesome the nineties were. Yeah, well, the the Matrix was right all along. Nineteen ninety six was the the, the, the pinnacle of our of, civilization, the pinnacle yeah. of human civilization. Yeah. All right, shall we move on to Ludwig's wondrous grenadiers? Yes, let's do that. All right. Uh, who went first last time? Did I or did you? Uh, you went first. So okay. Shall I do this one? Sure. All right. Ludwig's wondrous grenadiers. Ludwig uh, was an was an eccentric, even by the Altdorf Engineers Guild Guild standards. Well, I can't even read anymore. <laughs> After having blown a hole in the side of his dormitory for the fourth time, he was expelled, having never gotten the title of master engineer. But he still was more skilled than most who bore that title. Ludwig continued tinkering, squandering his family's fortune on gunpowder and metal until it was all but spent. He did, however, manage to build a few working prototypes of his grenade launcher. It took a few brave men and some more coin and promise thereof to become known throughout the old world as a mercenary for hire. Ludwig's wondrous grenadiers carry long tubes on their shoulder that can launch grenades at the enemy. What you basically have here is a regiment of old world uh, RPGs. And then, of course, I'm not talking about a role playing <laughs> game. So, um, yeah, a, a, a shoulder carried mortar. Uh, maybe, I, I haven't really thought about the models, but maybe we can do something like the uh, Skaven weapon teams. Where you have one of them that's holding the actual tube and aiming, and the other one that's lighting the fuse. Um, and then you've got these uh, old-timey round bombs with a fuse that uh, you launch the bomb, and then afterwards the bomb explodes. 
hopefully when it hits the enemy. Sometimes in midair, and sometimes it's it's just a dot. So I haven't really thought about more rules for that, but I I think about something like um, maybe like cannon rules, uh, rolling an artillery die to see if the uh, tube itself explodes, and then adding something extra for the range, and then rolling a d6 on a one, it's a dot on a um, uh, maybe a, a two it explodes in midair, something like that, and then and on other numbers it's uh, going to be a uh, like a small blast template or something. Nice, nice. I I like that. We have uh, similar, at least similar kind of ideas about Ludwig. Um, now I, I do really enjoy. See, when I I was thinking about this unit, I thought, oh okay. They're they're grenadiers. They they're gonna throw grenades, and I like that you were just like, "What if actually bazookas?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I I'm gonna give it to you on this one. I I think your idea is a little bit better than mine. But uh, would these teams like these this regiment on the table? Would you be hiring? You wouldn't be hiring a full regiment, right? You'd be hiring a weapon team. Yeah, well, I I haven't really thought about how to do that, but oh, okay. you could do it like a like a weapon team, like um, uh, the Skaven do, uh, and just have a weapon team attached to a unit, or maybe not use the cannon rules and a blast template, and maybe just um, have uh, hits or or cause uh, d three or d six hits per mortar, and then you just have a, uh, a skirmishing unit of these grenade launchers that can be a unit unto themselves like maybe five models and then uh, Ludwig as an engineer allowing you to re-roll one dice or giving him an extra ballistic skill or something that uh, like I said I haven't really thought about rules for this but uh, there are many ways you can go with this nice nice yeah yeah well in my in my head cannon for for Ludwig uh, also, uh, of course, from the uh, Imperial Engineering College, uh, I, I imagined him as kind of a washout uh, where he was not as interested in his studies as in like the practical effects of gunpowder. And so he, he didn't last long in, in the college, uh, but he ended up in Altdorf uh, where he met a... A similar kind of washout from the Dwarven Engineering Guild uh, named Thori. And he and Thori struck up a conversation, which turned into a partnership. And together, uh, basically with Thori's, uh, the help of, of Thori's clan of dwarfs, they put together this regiment uh, with uh, Ludwig's newfangled grenades. And I was also thinking of the the big circular bombs with the fuses. And in my imagining, this is go was going to be a mixed regiment of humans and dwarfs. And uh, cool. something like the crossbowmen that have like the, the pavés in front of them, the, the giant shield. Uh, yeah, be... uh, Br Braganza's Besiegers. Yes, yes. And a, a little bit like that, except the front rank would be dwarves with the giant shields. And then the back rank would be the grenade hurlers, who'd be human, 
Uh, and they're a little bit taller, arms a little bit longer, so they, they huck the grenades. And then basically they all get behind the shield wall <laughs> as the grenades explode. And my idea for it was that the unit would throw grenades like a large blast template. So the whole unit would throw. And depending on how many models that you had remaining in the unit, it would either be the, the large blast template or the small blast template. And to kind of protect themselves from any blowback if, you know, if the grenades don't scatter very far, they've, they've got those shields in front of them that would give them some kind of bonus uh, against uh, missile attacks to the front. And the whole idea of them would be kind of this very short-ranged but devastating, when it works, uh, ranged unit. And I was thinking something like strength three armor piercing for the, the blast template. And it, it just, it struck me as something silly. You could have kind of two characters with it too, because you'd have Ludwig and you'd have Thori. And maybe Thori is uh, one of the front rank dwarfs and he has kind of a special ability that he can do. And then Ludwig, something similar to the engineer, I was thinking along the same lines as you were there. Um, and I just thought it would make for a wacky, wonderful regiment uh, with a lot of fun models between the, the dwarves and the humans. That's a great idea. Yeah. I really love that. It's um, I, well, of of course you know me. You, I always love those mixed regiments, and uh, I especially like the idea of the, the dwarf shield wall, and uh, the humans getting behind it. I, I also love the the way you thought this out uh, as as a mechanic. Just have a single template for the whole unit, and then depending on the models, that's a really elegant way of doing this. Uh, oh, much you. more elegant than, than my way of just figuring out what to do uh, on the fly. Um, <laughs> as you were describing Ludwig's background, I got another idea for how we can shape this unit. Oh, okay. What if, instead of meeting a, a washed-out dwarf, uh, your washed-out Ludwig met up with uh, some Skaven? And he Ooh. got intrigued by their weapons teams and sort of set out to to copy them, to improve them, to actually, maybe he was enslaved, maybe he, out of spite for being kicked out of the college, he, he started working with the Skaven. And uh, then we can have a combination of, well, maybe your background and my mechanics with a weapons team bazooka. Um, Maybe with with Ludwig and and a Skaven, or maybe with Ludwig directing a Skaven weapon team as a sort of extra skirmishing character Ooh. besides it. I like that a lot. That's really fun. And there are no Skaven Dogs of War units, so... Mm, that's true. That's true. Although I'm not sure he Added would bonus. get employment from the dwarfs. <laughs> with the no, 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 probably team. not. Well, but, but, but there, there are many dogs of war units that cannot be hired by one or more armies for true. some reason. So uh... that is very true. Nice. I I love that. I I think that's a really cool. There's so many good ways to take this this one, um, because yeah, it lends itself to some some really interesting mechanics as well. Yeah, especially if you, if you have them working together with other races, regardless of whether it's dwarfs or skaven. Um, uh, I do see a little bit of a problem when you have them working together with dwarves, because then the whole unit would be movement three, 
Ooh, and yeah, I um, haven't even considered that. If he has a short range weapon, then it's probably not as good. But well, yeah, we we haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> that, that's next episode when we uh, when we craft full working rules for all of these units i'm sure that'll happen <laughs> well I, I have full working rules for all of these so uh, for for one of these i'm sorry not for all okay these, for one, for one of these so dj uh, you're, you're you're taking it too far if you've done all of these this yeah is, we have I, to have I, don't, an I don't have I, I don't have that much time on my yeah. hands but uh <laughs> no but we'll get to them it's, it's a giant big piece, uh, okay but cool, uh cool. first we have the celestial dragon monks and i believe it's your turn again nathan yeah yeah and I'm, I'm kind of sad that it is because this is the unit that i looked at and i looked at and i was just like i don't really have much for you guys <laughs> so my thought was and again this is a very half-baked scheme of course uh this unit screams Cathay for sure and the uh creative assembly their their version of Cathay has kind of been stuck in my head uh because that is i mean the most we've seen of Cathay in 30 odd years so what i was thinking of was a primarily defensive melee unit and i was thinking of of things that you know the, that the high elves would would maybe hire or they would see the value in and I kind of thought about them as something akin to Swordmasters, but instead of where Swordmasters have a very high offensive ceiling and, you know, they've got the um, kind of the deflection rules in some additions to, to give them a little bit more on defense, this would be a unit that is kind of an elite infantry unit that would have uh, defensive combat abilities. So... I, I I kind of I, I was on the fence about giving them a ward save. I was thinking about monks and I was like, what kind of cool things can monks do in the Warhammer world slash like in fantasy settings? And one of the big ones, of course, is monks being, you know, very hard to hit, very uh, dexterous and always kind of moving out of the way of of attacks and uh, being able to snatch things out of out of air. And so I thought the Swordmaster rule of of deflection was kind of a good place to start there so my thought was to have this unit be kind of your elite human infantry so weapon skill four, uh you know strength three tough three humans given the given them two attacks though because of again they're they're monks they're very fast and one of the things that i thought would be cool for this unit is if they fought unarmed so basically have it that they can either attack as if they had two weapons uh, because they got their, their fists of fury or have it so that they can kind of grapple their foes and, and either make their foes lose an attack or make it uh, harder to hit or something like that. And as far as their uh, models and their, their look, I was thinking of... Your your classic kind of monk robe, but what I wanted them to have was kind of wrapped hands, uh, and and maybe even like kind of um, pug pugilist gloves, so like those old old timey like fighting uh, gloves, as well as I thought they'd be really fun to have dragon style like helmets that they wear like kind of either jade or gold or something just to to give them some pop because monks on their own are very bland and that doesn't work for me for warhammer so i, I wanted to to dress them up a little bit there 
And uh, yeah, that's about what I got. I, I, I they're a little half baked. I gotta say, <laughs> I don't really. I'm not. I'm not proud of that one. I just that's as, well, as good as I got. Don't worry about that. I, I've been thinking along those same lines, so uh, maybe then uh, I should not be as proud of my iteration <laughs> of this as you are. But uh, before we do that, remind me, please. What was that uh, Saltmaster deflection rule? Uh, how does that work again? So it, it changes between editions, but generally it is either a uh, a minus to hit or a kind of a special save that they got. Right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it it just re- it just reflected their their Jedi like ability to just like knock missiles out of the air with their swords. So I thought something similar for the monks. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, I, I thought along the same lines, but I uh, took it a little bit further, um, at least in some respects. And I've got a little bit of fluff written up. Uh, the Celestial Dragon Monks, they are one of the few groups that travel west from Grand Cathay. They set up monasteries on high mountaintops far away from the humdrum of daily life. The worthy may take the perilous climb to one of these monasteries to employ their help. If the cause is found worthy, a group of monks, and these are not your young ones, these are the the aged monks clad in long robes, uh, they descend and they fight alongside the envoy's army. Uh, Now these monks, they are, like your iteration, highly trained in martial arts. They can dodge blows in Matrix style, so... I thought, well, maybe that's worth like a uh, four-up ward save, or maybe a five-up, uh, or maybe a minus one to hit, or something like that. Uh, they know exactly where to hit the enemy, like the um, uh, Kill Bill uh, five-point exploding heart technique. <laughs> uh, so they, they, of course, have Killing Blow. That's cool. I did and, not think um, of that. Since they are the Celestial Dragon Monks, I also uh, took a little bit of a um, idea from the uh, Lore of the Heavens. Um, the unit may always re-roll failed to hit and to wound rolls of a 1, as if it were permanently under the influence of the portent of Far. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Man, yours is so much cooler than mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do like, but, but, though, but, that but I, thought on I, the same I, I, lines. I, I, yeah, yeah, well, there's, there's really not much ways to go with this one, I feel. Um, I, I do, however, want to stress that uh, these are all uh, at least octogenarians. The, these are the the Mr. Miyagi-type monks, all the old dudes that everybody underestimates, but that can just uh, basically take out a, a group of thugs in the street fight all by themselves without breaking a sweat. The, the guys that have been practicing martial arts for all their lives. And because of all that practice, they've actually gotten good at it. That's a great aesthetic. I'm just thinking of the models. Now you give them those sweet, like white flowing beards. Oh man, that looks yeah, so good. Yeah, wrinkly skin, uh, so a little bit, little bit bronzed skin. Yeah, and that'd be such a unique look too, because you don't get a lot of octogenarian units no. in uh, Warhammer, especially for humans anyway. H spots like uh, Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Yeah. Oh man, I'm so into this now. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I didn't like this unit before because I couldn't think of anything good for them, but yeah, you've you've shown me the way here. I love it. That's I've too cool. I've convinced you. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Great job. That's, that's an awesome, awesome... Uh, 
idea and i i desperately want those that as a unit now <laughs> <laughs> well there's probably some old monk like characters that you can print off of, of etsy or something uh, so uh and if there aren't then uh, please listeners uh make them and send them over to nathan <laughs> there we go there we go i'll uh i'll save them for my uh old world Cathay army which i'm sure <laughs> will happen maybe sometime this decade <laughs> oh wow this decade even yeah I look, I'm being I'm being very optimistic here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I thought this is one of those uh, old folks home projects. Oh, more more than likely, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's head on over to one that I thought was one of the most unique ones or at least went in a unique direction for me. This is Night Stalkers of Cathanadol. Yeah, and well I think it's the reverse for you and me with these uh, two last units because for me this one really didn't speak to me much. I I don't really have any idea which way to go with them, or I have I have maybe too many ideas, uh, so it was hard for me to uh, to pick one. Um, shall I go first on this one? Certainly. All right, so. I was thinking about the Night Stalkers of Cathanadol. What what is this? And um, the name Cathanadol uh, is is partly comprised of the word cat. Um, at least the way you spell it in Dutch and and in English is of course with the C. So I thought, well, why not do something with giant cats? And I got as far as a um, maybe like a beast master i think of the ogre hunter with the two saber tusk except that this is a beast master that has tamed some some jaguar some some black cats uh from also from the far east uh, the hinterlands of Quresh, and they're just hurt into battle but i did not really get much further than that except that this is like a uh, uh maybe a unit Similar to the Skaven Packmaster with the uh, giant rats, except that these are, are jaguars or something like that on a cavalry basis that maul the enemy and well, maybe we can, just think this up on the fly, have some rules that if the Beastmaster dies that uh, the cats scatter and become feral again, like the... Uh, uh, six edition quick hurt and they'll just attack whatever they feel like and they move in a random direction and uh, whatever they hit they attack something like that nice nice i i didn't get the cat thing from them although cat is the first part of that word so it, it makes a lot of sense that's yeah that's it, it, makes, it makes more sense in dutch because that's the way you spell it here it K- does have a little bit of an old K-A-T. hammer vibe to it too because you there was a lot more beast tamers and stuff in in third edition right where you'd get yeah uh, that's true yeah like war dogs and those kind of things so i could see it being something like that i like the kind of amazon vibe to it it's very cool makes sense for the lizard men as well nice nice and are these now i'm curious what's your direction oh sorry oh i was just gonna ask um i was thinking because there's so many cool different colors and types of of wild cats in the world and I, i was just wondering how would you what would be the funnest way to go about painting up that unit 
And I'd kind of want to paint them up as leopards. So you do like the full like leopard print on them. I think would look really cool and like really bizarre. Um, but yeah, that was that was my only thought there. That would be nice. Yeah. Well, since they are night stalkers, I was thinking automatically of black cats. But I mean, that would make sense. You can, right? you can of course do anything with them, and if you give them a leopard print, why not have them uh, give them the special rule: hate night spanter. Ooh. <laughs> oh my God! Yes. Or That's go really old, Emery, and say, have them hate anything with a leopard print. Oh, I like that. I mean, that's got to be the most situational rule in the history of Warhammer, but I'm, I'm for <laughs> it. I'm 100% for it. Uh, yeah, so I, I went on a much different direction uh, here, and I was thinking of, okay, what can I have as a cool Dogs of War ally for the Lizardmen? The Lizardmen have hired human mercenaries before, but human mercenaries are boring. They're all over the place. So I kind of went deep lore for this one. Uh, so underneath of underneath the mountains in Nagaroth, and this is the Black Spine Mountains, basically the equivalent of the Rocky Mountains uh, geographically for Nagaroth, there is something called the Underworld Sea. The Dark Elves discovered the Underworld Sea uh, sometime after they moved to Nagaroth and they realized that it was big enough that they could move ships and black arcs through it and thereby kind of get to the other side of the continent with their navy. One of the things that they realized when they were under there is that it is home to sentient creatures including a bit of a lost civilization. Now this is lore from the fourth edition book so this is kind of old school but it it as far as I know, has never been retconned. So I thought, okay, what if these Night Stalkers, because they are from this underground species, that's why they're called Night Stalkers, because they're never seen, and they're, they're part of, and, and wherever Cathandal is, it's, it's like the civilization underneath the Black Spine Mountains. And these creatures, I imagine them kind of... Um, almost amphibian-esque so think of like maybe skinks like skinks that that went feral uh thousands of years ago and lost the the guiding uh slan and, and took to living in these caves and they've they've evolved or devolved depending on your opinion and now i'm thinking of these albino lizard-like creatures that are eyeless and the idea behind them is that they are experts at hunting in the dark because they have no, they don't need eyes, so their other senses are heightened. So I thought, okay, well, I don't think they would be very good in a kind of uh, regiment because it wouldn't make sense for them to really know about fighting in regiments or anything like that. What if they are skirmishers, but instead of the skinks, which are usually kind of the short-ranged uh ranged unit skirmishers these guys are going to be kind of close combat they're going to have uh like some scraggly fangs and teeth i was thinking about poison attacks giving them kind of a bit of a ghoul feel but their their shtick would be that they have bonuses against certain units because of the way they hunt so for example uh cavalry uh because cavalry you know they they would make more vibrations on the ground they would, you know, like they would be able to sense them coming. Uh, they would have certain abilities to say uh, negate 
the charge bonus for certain units like that. Maybe not the charge bonus entirely, because that might be too powerful, but something, some kind of situational advantage uh, because of their heightened senses. And this is one that I didn't give a hero character to, because it, it didn't really seem like it called for one. It would just be neat to see these kind of albino uh, amphibian people walking around and... Uh, and causing mischief. I, I'm not sure how you would hire them either, but I'm sure there's some other stuff that they want. So that that was kind of where I went, which was in a direction. That's an awesome idea. I'm I'm learning so much on this podcast. I never knew there was an underworld sea under the Rocky Mountains. Yeah, it gets it doesn't get a lot of hype, honestly. It, it's just kind of a throwaway thing in in the Dark Elf books, but it's it's a really cool idea, and uh, yeah, it was never explored go... the way it should have been. You can go so many ways with that, and and I do love how in the older editions, especially, they put in all those little things, and maybe even just like these units, like just give us some names and let the hobbyists' creativity go wild, and just see what you can make of this. Um, I love your idea of the the. And underworld civilization there, like the, the troglodytic skinks. I was thinking model-wise, um, you could even, maybe for some reason, have them be a sentient humanoid civilization, and then you could use those uh, Age of Sigmar sea elf models for them. Ooh, yeah, absolutely. Elves. But that's just purely a, a model-wise consideration, and it would deviate way too much from the theme you have going on with this unit i mean only a little bit because I, I think those those uh Ideneth models I, I think some of them are eyeless as well so you could really you could really have fun with that or at least with minimal conversion right i think you could yeah you could do a lot there that's a good idea bit of green stuff yeah. cover up the eyes nice don't paint the eyes anyway <laughs> yeah um, yeah, and no, no, I also like that that whole uh, heightened senses vibe you've got going on. It, it uh, made me think about the um, uh, Avatar anime, the uh, uh, what was it, Nickelodeon uh, cartoon show, where you have this. I, I don't know. Have you ever seen it? I only know of it. I've never actually watched any of it. Right. So, so you have like these um, four classical Greek elements. And, and people who can bend them to their will. And uh, the avatar is the one who has to learn all the, f all the four different elements. And, and his teacher for the earth element is this blind girl that actually sees by sensing vibrations uh, through the earth. She, she goes barefoot everywhere. Um, and, and she just uh, feels those vibrations and she knows where everybody is without seeing and that's a really cool idea to have on uh, to, to have rules for on the battlefield like maybe give them a sort of dodge bonus against cavalry that they know where the horses are they know especially if they are smaller where to step so that they won't get trampled just take away that cavalry charge bonus and maybe have them strike first when a when a cavalry unit attacks them um Something like that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Or, or Some... strike last against elves, which they probably will anyway, but, but <laughs> even when charging because elves are so light footed. 
I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, the I know I want some kind of rule around the heightened senses. I just wasn't sure exactly how it should go, but I like those ideas a whole lot. Yeah, this is one that that really kind of sparked my imagination when I saw it, and uh, yeah, I'm 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 quite uh, I'm quite taken with that idea. Shall it's we... nice to see that the different units speak to us in a different way because this one re- didn't really resonate with me at all. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's funny because yeah, when I saw the dragon monks, I was just like, ah, oh, what do I do with monks? <laughs> and you had a great <laughs> plan for that. So, um. This is one that I am super curious to know, though, GJ, because I know you've got a whole thing for this. The Giant Pygmies of Lemuria. Yeah. And this was from the Ogre Kingdoms book. So I I have to tell you that the moment I read this, all I wanted for this unit was for them to be like ogres, but like six inches shorter. So like a millimeter maybe on on the model. And then there's just the ogres consider them pygmies, <laughs> but they're still giant. Like that's, that's kind of all I wanted from this unit. But, um, oh, wow. I, I'm super, I'm super curious to know what, what you've got going on there. Yeah. So I, I dove into the uh, third edition books and, uh, there's a pygmy army list in third edition, which is probably because of all the racial st- stereo racial stereotypes something that you can't do anymore nowadays so i'm sure these will never see any models <laughs> but um the uh, pygmies in third edition they are in uh, in and around lustria and they fight alongside slan back in third edition slan were their own race and uh, that's sort of what later eras became the lizardmen um Correct me if I'm wrong here, because you are way more versed about third edition than I am. You've got it all. So, uh, I have Lemuria situated as a small insignificant island off the coast of Lustria. It's home to many small pygmy tribes, and then I'm talking of course about the tribes being small, because it's obvious that the pygmies themselves are small. Uh, These tribes, they consist of at most a few families, and they are ruled over by a, sort of a grandfatherly patriarch. At some point in their history, and nobody knows when because the pygmies don't keep a written record, a fragment of a warpstone meteorite struck the island. Over time, this caused those pygmies living closest to the crater to grow, as, you know, warpstone has a tendency to do. These pygmies, being bigger and stronger than those of the other tribes, soon ruled Lemuria from coast to coast. And this is an island that has been in isolation for all of its history. When the island was finally discovered by old world explorers, the giant pygmies found that they were actually regular sized. This was unacceptable to the giant pygmies, who up until now had been the tallest sentient creatures in the world. Some of the tribe were intrigued by the prospects of the outside world and latched onto the explorer's crew. Their leader became known as Tall Tom, an adopted name as most old worlders proved unable to master the pygmy pronunciation. It took a bit of persuading and a fair few javelins, but in the end Tall Tom and his pygmies convinced the crew that it would be in their best interest to also allow Violet, another adopted name, aboard. And Violet is Tall Tom's pet giant dwarf elephant. Back in the old world, they endeavored to find the tallest sentient creatures around and kill them one by one. 
So this is a group of Napoleonesque pygmies with uh, delusions of grandeur. Their leader is a tall Tom. Their battle cry: the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And I, I went full um, fifth edition. Uh, how do you say uh, fifth edition Dogs of War army book with this? Um, they are for hire. The giant pygmies of Lemuria can be hired by any army except ogre kingdoms, which is rather silly when I think about it now because they are mentioned in the ogre kingdoms book. So that's sort of where my whole plan falls apart. Um, an army that hires the giant pygmies cannot include any ogres, chaos ogres, or giants. The pygmies simply refuse to fight alongside them. Totom, Violet, the elephant, and five giant pygmies cost 285 points, and up to four additional pygmies may be added for seven points each. So, the pygmies, they, they are your box standard human profile. Um, Totom, I gave the profile of uh, an empire hero. So he's got a bit higher web skill and ballistic skill, strength and toughness, an extra wound, a couple of extra attacks, and a leadership of 8. And Violet the Elephant uh, has movement 6, web skill 6, no ballistic skill of course, strength 6, toughness 5, 5 wounds, 2 initiative, 5 attacks, and leadership 10. The special rules are that the entire unit, they hate ogres, uh, chaos ogres and giants and the giant pygmies want to be the tallest and as such they hate all sentient bipedal creatures taller than them trolls chaos trolls crocs centagors demons monsters and other such creatures aren't seen as sentient by the haughty pygmies now they function in the same way as a uh, lizardman stegodon would this is a, a ridden monster uh, with the pygmies on a howdah they ride atop a ramshackle platform. The model is counted as a chariot in all respects. The pygmies are armed with hand weapons, shields, and javelins, and the howdah provides the entire model with a 5 plus armor save. The uh, elephant, of course, has tusks, so I gave Violet a tusk charge, similar to the orc and goblin boars, plus 2 strength on the charge. And I also want Violet to do impact hits. Uh, on the charge, the uh, if the charge distance exceeds 6 inches, Violet does d6 impact hits at her normal strength. And this is modified with the Dusk's Charge special rule. And the reason I did that is because you want this elephant to take out big things. And while well, strength 6 or strength 8 doesn't really matter against your regular infantry, it's, it's going to be a 2 plus either way. But um, you want to impale that, that giant or those ogres. And finally, um, these uh, uh, pygmies, they have a warpstone addiction. The constant presence of the warpstone meteorite on the island has caused not only a natural growth, but also an addiction to the glowing green material. As such, if any units from Warhammer Army's Skaven are present on the battlefield on either side, the entire model gains the Frenzy special rule, and they will not lose Frenzy even if defeated in combat. Oh. There you go. Wow. That's a heck of a unit. That's so cool. I love it. it it's so wonderfully silly that it, it speaks to me. What a great idea. Oh, yeah, idea. I knew it would. Uh... Yeah, yeah. No, I am super impressed by this. I think it'd be really funny. I love the fact that they get off the island and they're just normal sized people. They just, and they're, they're furious about it. <laughs> God, that's that's so much fun.
That is really, really cool. I love the idea of a regiment of renown that is kind of, yeah, like a stegodon, that ridden monster with the howdah and the, uh, the, the pygmies on top and everything. And yeah, it's, it's a very, very cool idea. That's, um, yeah, I just, I just love everything about that. I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any notes other than the fact that yes, I am, I am for this unit. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if the point value is, is accurate. I'm, uh, I just sort of winged it on this one, like uh, the profile, sort of like a giant plus yeah. then a hero plus some some regular humans, but it, it's it might be a little bit undercosted. Uh, it sounds like a pretty good guesstimate, anyway. A good starting point, certainly. Yeah, yeah. If anyone wants to play test <laughs> these uh, <laughs> these for us, uh, go go right ahead. Um, if anyone wants to model them up, then I would love to see them. Yeah, yeah. I, I I can't really follow that because that was a whole unit that that is fully fleshed out and uh, and ready for for battle. Honestly, I had thought of the uh, the giant pygmies being also on an island, but I was thinking of Lemuria being off of the Dragon Isles, so just kind of below the Darklands, uh, near the Ogre Kingdoms, and my whole fluff idea for them was that as the ogres are exploring the world and, and looking for things to eat, they get to these uh this island of giant pygmies. Uh the giant pygmies in fact uh just being slightly less tall ogres, but slightly less tall ogres means that, you know, they they would still probably consider you food. Uh but the, what the pygmies are really good at is deflecting. And so they say, oh, yes, yes, we're just pygmies, actually. We're very small. We're not, we're not going to make a good meal. But if you go basically due south, there's an island where the, uh, the, the regular-sized uh, Lemurians live. And that's where you'll find a great feast. And so the ogres, uh, being the gluttons that they are, uh, strike a deal with, with these giant pygmies. And uh, they, the ogres sail off in, in search of this fabled island uh, of even bigger, <laughs> even bigger <laughs> peoples to eat. And uh, it, it turns out that the only thing uh, south of there is, is basically uh, like a maelstrom sized whirlpool and, and, uh, and sucks the ogre ships down. And uh, in, in the, the fluff that I had for it, uh, because the, the Warhammer world is, is silly, but also awful. Uh, the, the, Pygmies do this so many times with so many ogres that the 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 maelstrom the the whirlpool um basically starts becoming uh sentient and and starts talking to them in their head and it's kind of their own version of the great maw and now they cool. they send mercenaries abroad uh to kind of direct them they they tell them stories of uh their their compatriots in mercenary armies the stories of great riches and things just just beyond their home island and uh and they they try and feed the hungering whirlpool. So that was that's that's kind of as far as I got with them. But that was the idea, and the idea would be that they are basically just like slightly smaller ogres because I found that really funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, don't eat yourself up about um, not having the stats or anything for them. But but I really love your idea, mate. This is you went in a sort of similar direction, mm-hmm. just. 
the size well of course it's in the name giant pygmies but the the size being uh, a bit deceiving and and you having the giant pygmies be ogres that's something i would never have thought of and then them actually getting their own version of the great maw that's uh yeah that's a unit i would feel that it's uh i feel there should be some rules where even their allies would sort of be at a risk of being sacrificed to the uh, to the great whirlpool Ooh. Yeah, something like that would be kind of fun. So, so that maybe um, I don't know how you how you would put that in game mechanics, but that they would even during the game try to persuade their allies of sailing off into the sunset. Yeah, maybe some kind so, of leadership debuff. Yeah, or something maybe, like that, or maybe have have friendly units within six inches of them. All units within six inches of them have them make a leadership test on a regular basis, and and then sort of make them well, maybe not stupid or something, but move at half rate because they're daydreaming about all the riches that they're being promised. Oh yeah, I don't know yeah. if that would work in an actual battle situation when you have the enemy coming on. And then, <laughs> I don't think there's much time for daydreaming, but uh, I, I've never, fortunately, I've never been in an actual battle situation and. I hope never to be. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't think it's that's how it works. But yeah, <laughs> it's Warhammer. We we can think of some rules for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have gotten through all seven of these. Who they all turned out great. We have some pretty cool lore here that we've developed for these units, and some pretty cool rules as well. Um, so you had a couple of questions here that I think we're gonna finish off with today. And uh, I, I guess the first one you've kind of answered for yourself here. If you had to design yeah, stats the... and rules for one of these units, well, um, hmm, uh, which what uh, what would they be? Um, well, we we can change the question a little bit too. If you had to pick one of these units, and and thinking about the way you and I both describe them, which one of these would you most like to see appear on the tabletop? Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. I think for well, me, maybe a top three if you can't pick. Yeah, I. You know what? I think for me, it's gonna be Ludwig's Wonder Wondrous Grenadiers. I. I just. I love the idea of like their odd mechanics, either yours or mine, because I think they're both really cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they would be my my first choice, and I. I just love the idea of having those mixed faction units. I think that would look so cool on the tabletop. Especially if you're hiring them as Empire or Dwarfs or uh, or if we go with the Skaven route as Skaven, I think that would be so cool. Yeah, that they'd be mine. I'd put a, I would have picked Ludwig's Grenadiers as well. Nice. nice. Yeah. Yeah, something uh, about them is just so, fun. So much potential in this unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe it's because they have Wondrous in the title. Ludwig's Wondrous Grenadiers. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It kind of hypes itself up, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so disregarding all these mm-hmm. units that we have just mentioned and then when you think about all the dogs of war units that have been available for sixth edition what kind of unit if you had to devise a whole new unit for dogs of war what kind of unit would that be and why of course 
so I've, I've had all episode to think about this. And I keep going back and forth because the Dogs of War have a really neat unit roster to start with. And they actually have a lot of really cool stuff, especially in 6th edition when you get the proper kind of generic list. And looking through it, there wasn't a whole lot that I saw that, that they were specifically lacking in, especially once you consider the, uh, the classic regiments of renown and stuff. So I, I thought about what if we made a true support unit, something that, that no other army has, kind of along the lines of the paymaster, but a little bit different. Um, my idea was kind of a baggage caravan. So that would kind of sit up either on a hill or behind the hill or near your artillery or your crossbowmen. And what it would do is it would provide... Uh, a leadership as well as some other kind of, of buff for your army. Something like the classic 6th ed uh, Cauldron of Blood for the Dark Elves. So mostly immobile. I wouldn't have it fully immobile though because I, I don't like fully immobile units. But something like that, that that kind of sits around. It gives some, some neat buffs and it looks really cool on the battlefield. Uh, because, you know, we get that age-old adage that an army marches on its stomach, but we don't really ever see that, and there's no reason that we really need to, but I just thought it'd be cool for the Dogs of War because they're such a unique force, and, and so much of what makes them interesting is the, uh, the, the, the weird and wonderful odd units that make it up. I thought it'd be really neat to have a little bit more of a glimpse inside of, you know, that, that mercenary army that's always on the march and and all the stuff that they would need and they would have to keep pretty close at hand so that's that's where i'm going with it that's awesome yeah i really like that idea uh, maybe also give it a rule that if the baggage train or the, the the baggage pony or whatever it's going to be if it's captured by the enemy then it's worth extra victory points to them oh yeah yeah that absolutely that yeah, sounds awesome. good well, Although I, I might, I might give a special bonus or something like if it's if it's captured, then maybe maybe nearby units in your army gain hatred or something because they're just like, hey, that's <laughs> that's our supper in there. <laughs> yeah, or just make it so that it it can't be destroyed, but it can be captured and, oh. and hauled off or something. Oh yeah, that would lead to some interesting scenario play too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then then you can also have a, a special scenario where the um the the cart is uh, somewhere in the middle of the battlefield or on a random location because the pony has gotten nervous and, and has wandered off. Oh yeah, he got spooked, poor guy. Yes. Yeah, yeah there we go. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> you can use the Buckman's beer cart, uh, the old hammer model for this. Yes, yes, that if would be If you have an army marching well. on the stomach, then uh, a drunken dwarf on a cart with a with a barrel of beer. Yeah, people will march for that. <laughs> what about you? What did you think they could use? Yeah, well, I, I, I went for a more generic idea. I was thinking, what is the one unit that Dogs of War don't have? And, of course, there are several units that they don't have. But one, one key unit that's missing is uh, chariots. Oh, um, yeah, So okay. I thought... Well, of course, we have chariots for a lot of different factions. Uh, we have the elf factions. We have, of course, the tomb kings. We have the 
the orcs and the beastmen, but we don't have any human chariots. And so this is a unit that I, I didn't really think of all by myself. It's in the uh, Warhammer Armies project, but uh, in the Warhammer Army project you have an, an Albion book and you can have Albion chariots. And well, we have the Giants of Albion and we have Truth Sayers and Dark Emissaries and Fan Beasts that can be used as Doctor Four. So why not also have an Albion chariot with some um, mad, ferocious guys in war paint? <laughs> uh, a bit maybe like a what you would envision the fourth edition Wood Elf chariot to be, except then with humans on there and, and regular horses um and i wouldn't know what special rules to give them maybe like throwing axes or something well, um, i like throwing it I, I like throwing weapons of some sort for them yeah for sure yeah and then and, and those uh yeah like like the the classic uh the, the picts and the gauls like the the european folks that were defeated by the romans that, that kind of vibe nice Nice. I like that a lot. I hadn't thought about chariots at all. That's a great idea. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we have done good work here, honestly. And if GW is listening, and I know they are, uh, because I can tell. I can tell everyone. I know everyone who downloads this podcast. That's that's true. That is a true fact. You know fact. where you live. Yeah. 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 I know everything about you. Uh, they sh- they're going to get on making all of these units. And uh, we're going to see them all in the old world. Those will be great. It'll be really, really great. Especially the giant pygmies. <laughs> yeah. And, I'm uh, sure I'm sure we will never, ever see. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably Especially not. if they were... I, I think it's for the best. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those old hammer, uh, the, the illustrations and the descriptions and things, you would not uh, get away with that in no. uh, our modern world. Probably for the best there. But this has been so much fun. What a great idea for an episode, GJ. Thank you so much. Well, and, thanks for indulging uh, me. And, and, and I'm also curious to know, uh, of course, if, if any of our listeners, when you hear this, if, if your own ideas are sparked or if you maybe want to make a unit like that, uh, be sure to, to tag us on, on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, let us know which way you're going with this. And, and of course, uh, if you try them out in games, uh, let us know how this works. Uh, really curious to see if, if anyone else has been thinking about these units uh, that have been mentioned but have not gotten any rules and how you go about uh, dealing with that. If anyone's as crazy as we are and has dedicated this amount of time to units that were only ever given names in the 6th edition Warhammer Armies books, I will be both impressed and scared. <laughs> but it'll be nice to know that we're not alone. So <laughs> that's great. Absolutely do hit us up if you've got ideas for these units or for any units that you've made. Share them. Do all the things that GJ just told you to do. I think that's going to about do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to The War Games Orchard. If you enjoy the show, why not join us on Patreon? There you'll gain access to all of our bonus content for any level of donation. It's a great way to help us keep going and enjoy extra Orchard content. If Patreon's not your thing, please consider giving us a 5-star review on your podcast platform of choice and sharing this show with friends. 
If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard and The War Games Orchard, or by email at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. <laughs>